Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome again to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanovsky with you, learning Tractate Yivamot, continuing on in the 10th chapter. We're on page 89 today. This is a particularly well-known chapter of Talmud because it tells this tragic and, you know, a real grabber of a story, the story of the woman whose husband goes abroad, she hears incorrectly that he's died, and she remarries, but he actually is alive, and he returns, and that destroys both of their marriages. She must divorce them both, uh, and the children that she would have subsequently from either man would be considered mamzerim. Yesterday we learned that Rav proposed a relatively more lenient uh, view that when uh, the woman married with the authorization of the Beit Din, uh, the second marriage is annulled, but the first marriage is restored, and she can return to that first husband. And the Talmud doesn't really dispute that position in, in yesterday's page, but the halachic tradition does not accept it. Uh, as the as the post will say, that's just not the rule, and the rule is with the Mishnah, that she must divorce each man. It, it's a little illogical, but each man is married enough that he must give her a get, so she's technically sort of married to both men. Before we take up the real content of today's page, however, I want to note, for those of you who like uh, modern Hebrew literature, you know, the, the great thing about Jewish literature is it's about creative writing sometimes, but really creative reading and the use of materials, the use of retelling of stories in different contexts. That's how the Bible becomes a midrash, or, or one story in the Bible is retold multiple times. One of the great moments in modern Hebrew literature is the first classic work of the, uh, of the Galician and then Israeli writer Shai Agnon, Nobel Prize winner in 1966, the Hayaha Akov and The Crooked Will Be Made Straight, which is a story told right out of this week's chapter, the story of Menashe Chaim, who goes abroad. He's a terribly unsuccessful businessman. He's got no money. He goes abroad to be a beggar with a letter from the rabbi saying, trust Menashe Chaim, give him, give him some tzedakah. But that doesn't go well, and he's so desperate. He's, he sells that letter, and he plans to return home. He sells that letter to another, to another beggar. He plans to return home to his wife, Krindel Charnik, but terrible things ensue, and before he gets home, the one who had the letter is himself killed, and when he goes home, he discovers that Krindel Charnik thinks that he's dead, and she has remarried, and the long childless woman finally has a child. And so Menashe Chaim doesn't announce his presence. He, he lives in the graveyard, he lies in the graveyard, and he dies, and he allows his wife to have her second marriage Without him, a tragic story and a great, a great work of literature. I don't, I don't think it's in English, but if you ever get a chance in Hebrew, the Hayah the crooked will be made straight. Okay, from modern literature, now back to the ancient. Our page today is the first of a couple of pages, which will take up a really important theme on rabbinic authority. Do the rabbis have uh, the authority to change the Torah, or are they merely reporting the uh, the traditions that they've received? Well, anybody who's studied rabbinic literature knows that they are the rabbis, the sages, are extremely creative and powerful, 
and do not only report what they've received, but they shape it and they change it, but are they clear about how much they're changing it? What is their own conception of the limits of their power? Today's the first of two pages that will be focused on the idea of koach biyad chachamim la'kor davar minat Torah, the power of the sages to uproot a law from the Torah. The examples we'll have today are, frankly, not so scintillating as examples, at least for the practice of modern Jewry, but uh, the, the, tomorrow's examples will be a little bit more interesting, I think. But today's examples establish the principle that under certain circumstances, the sages can change what's written in the Torah and uproot it. The first example is a setup to reach the, uh, to reach the issue of the, of the uh, lineage status of the woman's two children. Let's call her Sarah. Her first husband, Ruven, goes off to Medinat Hayam, goes across the ocean. Uh, she believes he's dead. She, upon the, the, the report of his death, marries Shimon. Then Ruven returns, and she, in the meantime, has had a sexual relationship with Shimon. She's married. They have a child. That child's a mamzer, because she's really still married to Ruvain. She resumes a sexual relationship, or should she resume a sexual relationship with Ruvain, and they have a child. That child's a mamzer, because he's at least, she's, Sarah's at least half married to Shimon. So what's the legal problem with, with that judgment? Well, mamzerim are not permarried to ma- permitted to marry anyone except other mamzerim. Now, it's perfectly obvious that, that if her first marriage to Ruvain was still in effect, Sarah's subsequent marriage to Shimon is certainly not a, a legitimate marriage, and so therefore her child with Shimon is in fact a mamzer, not permitted to marry uh, a Jew of proper lineage. Uh, difficult problem, moral problem for modern Jews, but not for the Talmud. Uh, and, and, but, but should she have another child now with Ruvain, that child should be declared, according to the Mishnah, a mamzer, and permitted to marry a female mamzeret, but not permitted to marry a Jew, a Jewish woman of uh, more proper lineage. Well, that's because the rabbis consider that a problem because if uh, her child with Ruvain is a mamzer only by by analogy, so to speak, but not really according to the rules of mamzer. And so, if we declare the child a mamzer, let's call this child uh, Yehuda, and Yehuda goes Yehuda mamzer goes and marries uh, Rebecca mamzer, then he really ought not he really ought not have been permitted to marry her in the first place. And you take somebody who is forbidden to marry this female mamzeret, and you then give him permission to marry this female mamzeret, and so that seems like an uprooting of the Torah's own quote-unquote true halacha, or the true God's eye version of the halacha. That may not be the most interesting example, but I bet it's more interesting than the example that the Talmud does to bring uh, brings to actually introduce that question. Because if somebody, this relates to the, the matter of produce given to the priest, shuma, which is supposed to be ritually pure. But if somebody donates the 2% of his or her gross, gross agricultural product to a priest from tame, from ritually impure produce, that uh, gift is, is considered invalid, according to some of the Chachamim. According to Rav Chizda, that truma is not truma at all. It is purely uh, unsanctified food and can be can be dealt with as, as any other food. But the problem with Rav Chizda's position is contradicted by other sources. Rav Chizda says it's a kind of a a kind of a fine imposed on the person who improperly tithed uh, to declare that food truma. So he says it's not truma at all. But that takes something which does, according to the Torah, again the kind of God's eye view of the halacha, the the the, the Torah's accurate quote unquote view of the halacha. 
it should be truma. So you've taken something of sanctified status and simply declared it to be unsanctified status. Just like the case of the mamzer, the, tr the Torah's true rule is thought to be modified by the sages, at least in the position of Rav Chizda, modified by the sages to permit what would ordinarily be forbidden from the Torah law. And Rav Chizda then enters into a debate, a lengthy debate, which will take us into tomorrow's page and some more interesting examples with, with his teacher Rabbah, who denies that the sages have the power to uproot the laws of the Torah. But Rav Chizda will continually give example after example after example of cases where the rabbis make a declaration, fully self-consciously make a declaration that what they know to be the Torah's position on a given law is not to be applied in this case, and something else for social utility, for good social policy, whether it's the case of uh, you know, sexual relationships among doubtfully married women, or whether it's the case of impure produce, um, uh, improperly, uh, ritually impure produce, the sages will simply say that the Torah's law doesn't apply in a given case. That what seems to be uh, forbidden in most cases is actually permitted in this case. That the mom, that the that the Jew of kosher lineage is permitted to marry uh, a Jewish woman of mamzeret of status, even though he shouldn't be permitted to do that. In this case, he is though though the uh, the gift of truma food because it's impure. Really, technically, according to the Torah, does have sanctified truma status, but we the rabbis rule that it shouldn't be in this case uh, for for reasons of social policy. A tremendously interesting window into the rabbis' own sense that the Torah is uh, at there within limits, certainly not not promiscuously and not without limits, but the Torah is what the sages say that it is. Thanks for learning today's page with me, and I look forward to continuing this same topic tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.